The first is from Philippians 2.13, which says this, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Then in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul writes this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then finally, in Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 6, we read this. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that through the hand of Paul, we have these letters of encouragement to us. Lord, you want to encourage us on our Christian life, our Christian walk. And so we pray now through the preaching of your word, we too would be encouraged to live lives of righteousness for your sake. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So like I said, we are in uh, the middle of a series. We have two more weeks after this Sunday as we conclude this series called From Death to Life. And so I want to real quickly bring us up to speed on some of the things that we've talked about. Uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about how we have been justified by God, by faith alone in Christ alone. And we said that to be justified was for God to forgive us our sins and make us acceptable in his sight through Jesus Christ. And so that was two weeks ago. We have been justified by God, forgiven and accepted. And last week we talked about how God has adopted us. He has brought us into his family and has given us the right to call on him as our father. And so that's what uh, we talked about uh, the last two weeks. And in two weeks from now, we're going to talk about what happens in the age to come, in the life to come. We're going to talk about that God will bless us and save us finally and completely through uh, an action called glorification. That's through the resurrection of our bodies and life eternal with our Savior. Now, this morning, we're going to ask the question, what do we do now? In between having placed our faith in Jesus and being justified and adopted, and and in the future being glorified and raised to new life in the life to come, what do we do now, today, in this in-between time? We started by placing our faith in Jesus, and at the end, we will be united with Jesus forever. What do we do now? Or to put it another way, what is the Christian life supposed to look like now? On the one hand, you've got some people who answer that question and say, well, the gospel says we are saved by grace, not because of anything we've done, and that we have our sins forgiven, and so they deduce that it doesn't matter how we live our lives now. If, if, if God is going to forgive us, well, then I'm going to do whatever I want 
and I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust that God will forgive me. That's just his character. That's, that's how some people answer that question. Other people answer the question and say, well, God has justified me and has declared me righteous, so now it is my duty to, to live up to that expectation. That it is my duty to now strive for that standard that God sees in me. And so you have two sides. On one side, the message of Jesus becomes a license to sin. I can do whatever I want. God will forgive me. On the other hand, people look at the story of Jesus and say, God has this huge standard that he's placed upon me. Now it's up to me to prove that I'm worth it. Today we're talking about something completely different than that. That's not how we are to live our lives now. And in fact, we looked at these passages, and from these passages we will see what it is that God is doing in our lives now, how we are to respond to God today, here and now, in this in-between. And it's, it's wrapped up in this word called sanctification. And that's a, that's a big church word, and so let me just real simply define it for you. To be sanctified is to have God make you like his son. Sanctification is the process in which God makes you like his son, Jesus. And so we're going to look at sanctification. What does it mean for God to make us like his son? And the way we're going to do that is we're going to look at these three things that we see in sanctification from these passages. We see uh, first that God is working in you. Second, we're going to see that God is renewing you. And third, and finally, we're going to see that God is empowering you. So first, God is working in you. Second, God is renewing you. And third, God is empowering you. First, God is working in you. We get this from the first passage, Philippians 2.13, which says this, For it is God who works in you both to do and to work for his good pleasure. First thing we see here is that this process of sanctification has as its goal our doing and working for God's good pleasure. In other words, this process results in our character and behavior becoming more like God's own character and behavior. That word sanctification, um, that prefix sanct, uh, like the word sanctuary, it means holy. So a sanctuary is a holy place. Sanctification is the process of becoming holy. And that's the trajectory that God is working in us. He's working in us to produce in us holiness by the things that we do, the things that we work towards, that God is making us holy. He's setting us apart. He's, he's um, making us pure and godly. That is what God is doing in us. But secondly, we need to see in this passage that uh, this work, uh, it is a work. It's a process that God is working. It's an ongoing thing. It's not an immediate act of God. It is a process. When we talked about justification two weeks ago, we used the illustration of a judge in a courtroom 
making a declaration that you are innocent. So when the judge's gavel striked the, the podium, you are just immediately. That was an act of God's grace. Sanctification is a work of God's grace. He is working on you. It's a process. This doesn't happen overnight. I mean, God could snap his fingers and, and change us, but that's not how he does it. He works in us. It's a process. It's gradual. This doesn't happen overnight. It's like a, uh, a craftsman who takes a pile of scrap wood and turns it into something beautiful. It doesn't happen immediately. He has to clean it off and plane it flat and, and glue pieces together and wait for the glue to dry and then put it through the other tools and then shape it and carve it and stain it. And then after a long time, there's something beautiful at the end. It's a process. And this, is, this should encourage us that it's a process. Because I know myself, and I imagine you're similar to me, that I can get discouraged when my life doesn't look the way that Scripture shows me that it ought to look. I can get discouraged that things aren't happening fast enough. But this is encouraging because I know even when I don't see it or when I don't feel it or when I don't recognize it, the truth is that God is working on me. That is the truth. He is working on me. He's working on you too. So this is an encouraging text, but it's also a word of caution because we ought to expect progress. Like we ought to expect that God is doing something in our lives. And if you look at your own life and it, it doesn't look like God is working on you, this is a word of caution to ask, why not? Like in, in what way are you resisting God's work? In what way are you actually rejecting it, maybe? Not giving into it? Are, are you, is there something in your heart or your mind or even your body that you are saying, God, I don't want you to work on me in this place? I think a good question for all of us to ask is, am I more like Christ today than I was six months ago? Am I more like Christ today than I was a year ago or five years ago? If God is working in your life, the answer better be yes. This is God's gift to us, that he is working in us, and it's a process. And finally, the last thing we see in this Philippians passage is that it is God who is the one working in us. Like, we do not begin the Christian life of faith through an act of the Spirit and then work out our Christian life apart from the Spirit. No, it, if, if God has placed you on this course called the Christian life, he is going to work in you the whole way through. He doesn't set you on the course and then sit idly by watching you try to figure it out. God is working in you. He carries you like a father holding on to his son. He is carrying you through this Christian journey. In 1977, uh, 
15-year-old Rick Hoyt uh, learned about a, a local high school student um, in, in his town uh, who was a star athlete who got into a car crash and um, was paralyzed. And so the, the community was coming together to do a fundraiser run to help this family. And, and so Rick Hoyt asked his dad, Dad, can we run in this race to help this boy? And his dad said yes. He was so overwhelmed with joy by this question because you see Rick Hoyt is a quadriplegic with cerebral palsy. And he has had limited, almost no muscular function all of his life. And for to have him ask his dad, Dad, can we run this race for this boy? It brought so much joy to Rick's dad's heart. And so Dick, his father, uh, they, they, they built a contraption that Rick could sit in the front of the wheelchair and then Dick could push the cart from behind. And they trained, and they ran this race in 1977, and, and they really enjoyed it. And so they kept on training. And in 1980, they actually ran the Boston Marathon together. And, and from then on, Rick Hoyt and his father ran and competed in over 1,000 races, endurance races, and marathons, and triathlons, including six Ironman competitions. Every single time... Dick, his father, carried his son in that cart across the finish line. When Rick finished the first Boston Marathon in 1980, he looked up at his dad and said, Dad, when we're running, I don't feel disabled. Friends, God is the one carrying you through this life. It is not your striving it is God's fatherly care holding you in his arms. He is carrying you through this race. So trust in him. Rest in his arms. This is not your battle to fight. He is fighting it for you. Sanctification is God working in you. But second, sanctification is also God renewing you. We get this from the second passage, from 2 Corinthians 5.17, where Paul says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The renewing of our bodies comes because we are in Christ. Christ. And we've been saying that phrase, in Christ, a lot in this series. And, and in fact, all of the benefits of our salvation from justification through glorification come to us because we are in Christ. So I'm going to take a moment, just explain further, what does it mean to be in Christ? Well, here we see Paul compare being in Christ as something new compared to not being in Christ as something old. And, and in fact, the other thing, the not being in Christ, there's actually something else that we were in. We were 
in Adam. Adam as in Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. You see, when, when God created mankind, he made Adam. And, and Adam's name actually means man. And so every person that's included in mankind is in Adam. Adam sort of represents humanity. And so by nature, we come into this world in Adam. And, and some of the things that are true about that is that we have inherited from Adam his guilt, his sin, and his status as a sinner. Like we come into this world born into sin. It's not because there's something inherently wrong about being human. It's that we were humans born in Adam. So we have inherited those characteristics being in Adam. But now, if you are in Christ, there's other things that we have. We're no longer in Adam. Now we are in Christ. This is a concept called, this is another fancy term along with sanctification. It's called federal headship or federal representation. In the news, you might have been hearing a lot about uh, Russia and Ukraine and, and, and President Biden and, and all these other world leaders meeting with President Putin to talk about, hey, how can we reach peace? How, how can we work together to create um, an agreement for peace? Let's say, hypothetically, and, and Lord willing, that these world leaders, let's say President Biden sits with President Putin this week, and they come up with a peace treaty to resolve this conflict, and they both sign their names on it. Well, in that moment, President Biden and President Putin are operating as representatives of their citizens. And so when President Biden signs that treaty, all of the citizens that he represents receive the benefits of that treaty. And when Putin signs that treaty, all the citizens of Russia will receive the benefits of that treaty and, and the citizens of Ukraine because they're operating as these federal representatives of the people. So when we were in Adam... The decisions of Adam, the, the characteristic of Adam, the behavior of Adam, in which he did not personally and perpetually and perfectly obey the Lord, he failed that treaty. And so we receive not the benefits of that, but the curses of that. But now, in Christ, if you are in Christ you receive the benefits and blessings of what Christ has done. He has secured your salvation. He has forgiven your sins. He has purchased everlasting life for you. You know, Jesus uses this illustration, so I feel comfortable using it, that a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. When we were in Adam, we were part of that bad tree that produced bad fruit. But now we've been transplanted 
out of that tree and engrafted into a good tree whose root is Christ. And so because we are in Christ, we produce the good fruit that comes from Christ. So Paul is saying that he is renewing you because you are in Christ. You are part of him. You are united to him. And so his benefits are now your benefits. His blessings are now your blessings. And you produce the good fruit that comes from being connected to him. But not only are we in Christ, being in Christ now makes us a new creation. And Paul is linking this idea of we were our first creation with Adam and our new creation now with Jesus, because he's trying to show us that this new life that we have in Christ is like a new creation. It's, it's all-encompassing. That God is concerned not only with our spiritual lives, but he's concerned with our whole being. He is renewing us completely. So yes, he does care. Are you spiritually connected to me? But he also wants to renew how you, uh, how you uh, deal with your finances. Yes, he's concerned, are you reading the word of God? But he's also concerned, hey, how are you using your body and your sexuality? Are you using that for my glory? Yes, he's concerned, are you worshiping me? But he's also concerned, hey, how is your work life? Is that being renewed for my glory? Your relationships with friends and your family, is that being renewed for my glory? If you are in Christ, you are a new creation, all-encompassing. So sanctification means God wants to renew all of you. So what area of your life needs renewing right now? What area of your life are, are, are you resting in the Lord to carry you through, to grow you in, to shape you more like his son? Ultimately, the trajectory of this is the image of Christ. Ultimately, the, 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 the trajectory of what God is doing in renewing you is to be more like his son. So where in your life are you not like his son? God wants to renew you there. God is working in you. God is renewing you. And finally, God has empowered you. What has he empowered us to do? He's empowered us to do two things. He's empowered us to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. He has given us the ability to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. And this comes from Romans 6. Paul writes this, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So you also 
must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Did you catch it? There at the end, Paul says, consider yourselves dead to sin. That is, we are to say no to sin. And we are to consider ourselves alive to God. Choose righteousness. God has empowered us to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. What does it mean to say no to sin? Paul is going to go on in chapter 6. We didn't read it, but he's going to give us two commands. He's going to tell us to not do two things. He says, do not let sin reign over your bodies. And then secondly, he says, do not present the members of your bodies as instruments to sin. Do not let it reign over you and do not present your body as instruments to it. What does it mean to not let sin reign over you? Not not reign like the precipitation. Reign as in who, who sits on the throne of your heart? Who is reigning over you? And your life? What realm or dominion, whose kingdom do you live in? Paul is saying, do not let sin have dominance over you. Do not let it rule you. And I, I think that this talks about this. What is our attitude towards sin? I, I, th- I think for, for non-Christians... There's sort of a laissez-faire approach to sin. Because as long as it is not harming me, it's permissible, right? But even, I think, for some Christians, we take this approach of like, you know, I'll try my best, but it's okay, right? Remember at the first, God will forgive me. This general attitude towards sin, what is your general attitude towards sin? Is it, is it just some, are you, are you even aware of it? Paul says, do not let it reign over you. Do not give into it. Do not, do not welcome it. Do not celebrate it when you see it. Do not laugh at it. This is real. And he goes on, don't, don't present your members, members of your body as instruments to it. And we, we, if, if what God wants to do in our lives is renew us completely, that means our, our head and our heart and our hands ought to be in service to God, not in service to sin. When you, when you think about your head, that's you know, the way we think about the world, the way that we learn things, how we perceive the world. God wants to renew our intellect he wants to renew what we're taking in, what we're learning. Don't, don't think about, don't dwell on sin. Don't pursue sin. You know, when you hear sin, when you hear someone slander or gossip or, or mock, are you processing that in the way that God is renewing you to process it? That this is sin. What about your heart, the, the place of your desires, your longings, your affections? 
God wants to renew your heart. So don't present your heart as an instrument for sin. Don't long for sinful things. Don't don't desire the downfall of other people. How wicked is that? Don't, Don't laugh at or enjoy sin. I mean, he wants us to have this posture where we are totally against it from the depths of our heart. And then our hands. Like, how are we living in the world? How are we serving one another? Don't use your hands. And I think by hands, he's talking about how we engage with the world. Don't engage with the world in a sinful way. God wants to renew your hands the way you engage with the world. I love what Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 says. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but use his hands to produce something good in service to others. This replacement of this person who was using his hands to take from someone now says, God wants to renew you so that you're using your hands to serve someone. So how are you engaging, whether that's at work or or at church or with your family? Are you using your hands or your words to love and bless. You know, when you send off that tweet or comment on that Facebook post or, or search online, you're using your hands. Are you using your hands for godliness or for sin? Don't let sin reign in your bodies. Do not present your members as instruments to sin. Love how One Puritan author said this, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Paul is being very serious about this. We ought to put this to death. Remember what Jesus said? If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Is better for you to enter the kingdom of God maimed than it is to be cast into the fires of hell. Do not let sin reign in your body. Say no to sin. But then say yes to God. Say yes to righteousness. And I'm not going to go through all these things of a, what does that mean, but I want you to see is that Paul is saying sanctification is not merely the process of getting rid of sin in your life. Sanctification is the process in which he's calling you to live more like Christ, in love and of service and humility and upright character. Yes, obedience is part of being like Christ, absolutely. But let us not for a moment think that the Christian life is exclusively just trying to suppress sin. We are called to live unto righteousness so that we would be known for our good works of love and generosity and hospitality, that we would welcome one another. That's what it means to be sanctified, is to live into this righteousness. So how do we do it? Like, how do we actually do this? How are we empowered to say no to sin and yes to righteousness? 
Where does that power come from? How can we be sanctified? I, I think this is true. The degree to which we understand who we are in Christ. The, the degree that which we understand how we have been united to him. How what has happened to Jesus happened to us. The degree to which we understand that and rest in that and trust it to be true. To that degree, we are empowered to put to death the sin in our lives and live to righteousness. This is what Paul is saying in Romans 6, that we are united to Jesus and that what happened to Jesus happened to you. You see, the death that Christ died, he died to sin. And Paul says, you died with him. The life that Christ lives, raised from the dead, he lives now for God. And guess what? You were raised with him. The degree to which we understand that all of this salvation comes to us because we are united to Jesus, that we died with him, that we were raised with him. When we bury that deep into our hearts and know that who we are is now in Christ, the degree to which we know that is the degree to which we can actually say no to sin and yes to righteousness. It is by virtue of being united to Jesus, his death, and his resurrection that we are empowered to say no to sin. Sin does not have dominion over us. John Stott puts it this way. We deserved to die for our sin. And in fact, we did die. Though not in our own person, but in the person of Jesus Christ, our substitute, who died in our place and with whom we have been united by faith. By union with the same Christ, we have risen again. So the old life of sin is finished because we died to it. And the new life of justified sinners has begun. Our death and resurrection with Christ make it unthinkable that we should ever go back to sin. It is in this sense that our sinful self has been deprived of its power and we have been set free. God is working on you. Right now, today, here, he is working on you. Even when you don't see it or feel it, he is working on you. What is he doing to you? What is he working on you to do? He's working on you to become more like Christ. He is shaping you, renewing you, your whole person. He's empowered you, not because of anything intrinsic to you, but by uniting you to his son, he has given you this power. Through faith in Christ, you have died to your sin and live in him to righteousness. Let's pray.